You're listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, we, we were in a series last month called Summer at Freedom. And the whole point of that is to get you to hear some different voices. And um, so we had a, a variety of voices uh, uh, preaching. But I did the last message, and, and it was over a message called Structures. And, and so um, as I went that next week after that message, I got several text messages from people like, hey, I mean, how do I do that? Like, I mean, I, it's, it's what happens in church sometimes, isn't it? We get all these churchy languages and hedge of protection and, you know, all this stuff. I don't even know what that means. Like, how do you oh, just give it to God? Okay, bro, I would love to do that. How do you do that? Like, what? Like, here, Jesus, you know, I mean, do you just put it in a box and then go leave it at the cross? And be like, all right, well, <laughs> you pay my rent because I don't know how to do it, you know? <laughs> is that how it works? Or like, how do you actually do these things? And so um, today is, is going to be a lot, a lot of practical, okay? So um, typically I try to, to mix in the, the really encouraging, uplifting, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to do my best to do that today. But I just want to give you some practical tools on how you can develop and build the structures in your life so that you can be what God's created you to be. I don't want you to come to church for 20 years and never have built a structure that you can actually do the thing God told you to do. So today we want to give you some tools to help you with that. So I did this message called Structure and had a lot of feedback. And, and so what we talked about last week was, uh, at least one part of it, was if you want a solid framework for your relationship with God, it's going to take a few things, okay? It's going to take, number one, having your life grounded in Jesus Christ. And we talked what that meant to have your life grounded in Christ. And let me just kind of sum up by saying this. Is Jesus a part of every single decision you make? Like every decision. Now, let's not get legalistic about it because it's not going to be like, oh, do I get the street tacos or do I get the enchilada meal at burrito later? Like, I don't know if Jesus cares about that unless Jesus has told you, you need to get with your weight. You know what I'm saying? Like get your life together. <laughs> and then maybe you just need to get the grilled chicken and move on with your life, Jesus. But um, I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about necessarily the little minutia details like that. But, but do you run to Jesus before you run to anything else when you have a problem? Be grounded in Jesus. Number two, having, uh, being built together with the family of God. You need God's people. God created a hole in you that is only filled by God's people. You need them. And then lastly is being led by the Spirit. Man, I'll tell you, being led by the flesh is really, really easy, y'all. It's really easy. I mean, my goodness, let somebody cut you off you know, in traffic, and you see real quick how close to Jesus you are. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, but, but it can be difficult, but it's easy to let your emotions run amok in your life. It's easy to let, um, it, it's easy to let things just mm, jack you up. You know what I mean? But if you're being led by the Spirit, maybe you stop for a minute, and rather than lashing out on the coworker, maybe you stop and have some compassion and say, well, I wonder what they're going through that's making them act like this, because normal people don't respond like that. Now, y'all, maybe they're crazy, all right? I'm going to give you that. Maybe they're just crazy. And if that's the case, uh, give them over to the Lord. That's when you give it to God, right? <laughs> God, come get her. Like, you know. But you need to be led by the Spirit. So we're going to talk about family and relational structures in the weeks to come. But today, I just want to focus on you and Jesus. Because if, if it's not with you and Jesus, then, then we're going to have a problem. And here's what I said last week. If, if you're nothing with Jesus, you can be nothing for anyone else. If you're nothing with Jesus, you can be nothing for anyone else. And you might say, well, uh-uh, because I got lots of money without Jesus. Or, or man, I'm the life of the party without Jesus. Uh, uh, yeah, everybody loves me. Maybe, maybe I'm the picture of health and physique without Jesus. I don't need Jesus. 
I know y'all looking at me right now. Y'all know. What's up? Matthew 16, 26 says this, though. It says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Everything I've listed here is going to die with you. You're not going to be able to take your money to heaven. It's paving material up there, bro. Like, why do you even need that? But, but, but your friends and all this kind of stuff, like, what is eternal that you're building on right now? We see this personified in, in the story of the rich young ruler. And I don't know why, but here this year, I've really been on the story of the rich young ruler. I've preached from it a few times. There's so much you can preach out of it. It's just, it's, there's so many facets to the story. But I want to take you through this story today and, and, and hope to help you learn how to build some structures in your relationship with Jesus. If I can, Mark chapter 10, we're going to read verses 17 through 27. Here's what it says. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let me stop right here and just tell you that everyone is looking for life. Everyone is. That's why people go to the gym. They're trying to prolong their life. That's why people try to eat healthily. They're trying to prolong their life. That's why you go to the doctor. I mean, if you weren't trying to live longer, you might as well say, well, you know what? Bless the Lord. If he wants to heal me, he'll heal me. You know, like, no, we go to the doctor. You got a headache? You take a, you take a BC powder. Sorry, inside joke. Um, and Anison. You take an Advil. You ta- you, why? It's, it's because you are wanting your life, number one, to be good. You want to have life, but you want to live life a long time. Anybody want to live a long time? Come on, man. Like, I want to see my, my kids grow up. I don't want to, I want to have grandkids on my knees. Great-grandkids is a long time away, but, but maybe, maybe just some grandkids, you know. But we want to live. But here's the thing. You can only actually get life from one place. It's like the woman of the well. She went, and she wanted to have life from what she was doing, but she discovered in that moment that Jesus is the only place you get, get life. What's this drink that you're talking about that I never have to thirst again? Come on, that's Jesus. And, and Jesus is where you get that. Here's the thing, though, is you're going to live forever. Did you know that? Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you are saved or not. You're going to live forever. That's the truth. That's one of the things that the enemy tricked Adam and Eve with at the beginning was this idea that this immortality business. But we're all going to live eternally. And that's because we have a, we're a soul and a spirit with a body, not a body with a soul and spirit. I heard John Eldridge say this week in a podcast that your soul was created specifically for the purpose of relationship with God. Isn't that beautiful? Is your soul in relationship with Jesus right now? Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. That's kind of a weird flex, right? Imagine if y'all came to me one day and y'all were struggling with something. You said, good, Pastor Jason. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Y'all be like, bro, I'm not talking to you anymore. Like, I'm leaving. I'm not... That'd be so weird, such a weird thing. But this is the first thing, though, I want to relate to you in light of our discussion on structures. The rich young ruler could not recognize it, but he was at the right place at the right time with the right person to ask about life. That's where he was. Life only comes through Jesus. So if, if, the, if you're looking to create a, a structure that's going to last for life into eternity, it's got to start with a cornerstone. We talked about this a little bit last week. We read out of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now we read that, but let me, let me throw another verse at you out of Isaiah 28, 16. It says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes 
will not be in haste. A, a tested cornerstone. Do you think Jesus was tested? The Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he sinned not. Is Jesus precious? He's the precious lamb of God that was slain on the cross to take away the sins that you committed, the sins that you did. He took your place. That's the cornerstone that God is offering you. Isn't it weird at the end there it says, whoever believes will not be in haste? It's kind of weird language. And haste, it just means to rush to and fro hastily and hurriedly and distractedly, almost in an anxious state. Anybody in here struggling with anxiety? You don't have to raise your hand. Are we in a world right now that struggles with anxiety? So why is that? Why is anxiety such a bad problem right now? If you think about it, the cornerstone is the stone that is set in the corner that aligns the rest of the bricks in the entire building. But if your cornerstone is anything else but Jesus, you're going to have bricks that go one way, to and fro the other way, and it looks like it's going to be built with haste and and in a hurried fashion. And every time you come home to that that house that was built with a jacked up cornerstone, you're going to see anxiety in the midst of it. You're going to see the crooked structure. You're going to see the things that you wish you could fix, but you can't go back in time and fix it now. I want you to know something, that the Lord is able to do whatever he wants to do. And if you need a correction in your structure, God is able. He's capable. Matthew Henry, a guy that wrote a commentary of the Bible back in the 1700s, just brilliant. He says, and, and, and he that believes these promises and rests upon them shall not make haste shall not run to and fro in a hurry as men at their wits end, shall not be shifting hither and thither for his own safety, nor be driven by his feet by any terrors as the wicked man is said to be. But with a fixed heart shall quietly wait the event, saying, welcome the will of God. What, what is that heart fixed to? It's the cornerstone. So I'm bringing all this up. It's, it's because you need to determine what is the cornerstone of your life because everything in your structure is determined by that cornerstone. Here's a question. What is the cornerstone that is determining the structure of your life? What is the cornerstone? Now, let me, let me give you a hint to what it might be because it's not always Jesus. So we live in a world where the cornerstone isn't always Jesus. But Robert Morris once said this. He said, what you rush to in times of trouble is what you worship. If you're going to build a worthwhile structure in your life, it will require Jesus to be the cornerstone. So if you're taking notes, that's the first point today. It was the first point last week. I really want to drive it home. Jesus must be your cornerstone. He has to be. Now, Jesus was not the rich young ruler's cornerstone. Verse 19, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. you got to honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Jesus was telling this man what a structure looks like, what a godly structure looks like. So be careful that you don't throw out the law with the advent of the New Testament. And this is really important because if Jesus is going to be your cornerstone, then you have to understand that the Old Testament and the New Testament apply to your life. Um, I don't know if y'all know this, but um, I'm, I think the speed limit down the flats between Dayton and Liberty is 65 miles an hour. Is that correct? Can anybody confirm? Now, <laughs> God, good is as fast as you can go, Jesus, is what it is. Fast as you can go without being caught. That's the speed limit on the flats. Um, the reason I bring that up is because the law is there for a purpose, 
okay? Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 that he didn't come to destroy the law, but to, but to fulfill the law. In the New Living Translation, I love it, says this, though I came to accomplish their purpose. So hold on a second. The, the law has a purpose. What does that law have a purpose? The law has the purpose of helping you recognize what you're not doing correctly so you can correct the structure. This week, um, I had concrete poured at my house, and I really paid attention how they build the forms because I'm one of those guys that just likes to learn everything I can. And so I was watching as they built these forms, and you know what the very first thing they did? They put a string line up. They, they tied it to my existing concrete so that they could have the right slope that matched the existing concrete. But everything they did was in conjunction with that line. The, con- the boards went the certain way, they were the certain height, and they would adjust them, and all the, I mean, just everything was about that one string line. Why? It's because that string line was what everything else was built upon. And if they got the string line wrong, everything was gonna be wrong. This is the same thing in our relationship with Jesus. It's the same thing with the Old Testament. Don't throw the law out with the baby in the bathwater because the law is important. Now, there's some regulations that we don't follow anymore, the food laws and stuff like that. All of that stuff was dealt with in the New Testament. But there are some things in the Old Testament that you need to make sure that you're applying to your life. The top 10 commandments is probably a good one. I'll tell you, the one we do the, the, the most, we fell on the most, is resting, man. We are terrible at Sabbath. Because we live in this world that's just go, 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 go all the time. But, but Jesus wanted to help us understand, the rich young ruler as well, that there is a structure There is a way to build your life to honor God. And one of the best ways is to look at the laws of the Bible to help you understand the the parameters God wants you to operate in. Um, Look at this right here. This is from um, Dr. Meyer Waxman. He says this, um, Judaism, above all other religions of antiquity, was intended to be a discipline for a distinct people to train for its destined role, which is not only to follow in the ways of God, but also to point the way to others to follow him as well. Listen, your structure is more important than just you building your life. There are other people that are going to observe your structure and come into a relationship with Jesus Christ because of it. Look at this right here. This is from the Mishnah, which is some of the oral traditions of, the, of, the, of Jews during Jesus' time. It describes the educational process for a young Jewish boy in Jesus' time. Now, I think it's fun that we're bringing this up because today is the Sunday where we're celebrating everybody going back to school. Come on, parents. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Going back to school. Um, and by the way, if you're a teacher, there is a special gift for you out on the, on the info desk. And if you're a student, be sure to grab a pencil. I like the ones with the dinosaurs on top. You can get what you want. But here's what we're talking about in the educational process for a young Jewish boy in Jesus' time. At five years old, they are fit for the scripture. At 10, the Mishnah, the oral tradition. At 13, for the fulfilling of the commandments. At 15, the Talmud, which is the rabbinical laws. At 18, the broad chamber. At 20, pursuing a vocation. At 30, for authority, able to teach others. This clearly describes the exceptional student, for very few would become teachers, but this indicates the centrality of Scripture in the education. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at this, did y'all remember that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue at 12? And all of the people were like, what? It, this is why, because he shouldn't be even able to handle the Ten Commandments, much less be teaching people in the law. And have you ever wondered why 30 years is when Jesus started his earthly ministry? It's because Jesus stuck to the structure. Come on, I need y'all to hear that. Even God Almighty refused to abandon the structure. That's how important it was. Again, why are we going so deep in the woods on this? It's because I just want you to learn how to build your life. And, and let me just stop for just a second because a lot of times I think people can look at a pastor and think, oh, well, he's, you know, he, he's doing it right. And I'm, no, I'm, I'm learning this too. 
I'm building my life too. I'm imperfect as well. I say some dumb things sometimes, y'all. Do y'all know that? Y'all don't want to be in my brain. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't want to be in your brain either. But, but I'm working through this as well. And so what I would love for us all to do is let's all join hands and work towards building the structures together. If you know something about building a structure that I need to know, baby, tell me. Come on. I want to know. Why? Because I want to be as best as I can possibly be with Jesus Christ. And I want you to be the same thing. Most people, though, they feed off the revelations of others rather than allowing God to reveal himself to them personally. I love a podcast. I love talking with friends about what God's been showing them. Uh, Gwen came in this morning and and said something that the Lord showed her this week about an interaction she had. I love that. It's encouraging to me. But nothing is better than Jesus talking to you. Come on, church. Nothing is better than opening the Bible and all of a sudden that word becomes alive to you. You need to build your life. You need to build these structures so that that becomes more and more often. I'm not interested in you just coming and being encouraged only to walk out not knowing how to fight the enemy. That's indicative of either a bad shepherd or some really stubborn sheep. Now, maybe a little bit of both. I'm not looking at anybody. But, But I want you to come in here, and I do want you to be encouraged, but I also want you equipped so that when you walk out those four doors, you're ready to fight the enemy. What good does it profit you to come in here and hoop and holler and be encouraged but have absolutely no hope of fighting the enemy out there because you've not been trained? I'm telling you, discipleship is the D word in the church. And we've not really been that great at discipleship. We've been telling you hedge of protection and, and, and give it to the Lord, but we've not told you how to do stuff. That's why we're talking about this today. Jesus is the cornerstone. But number two is the word is your blueprint. Every builder has a blueprint. It's, it's more than just the instruction on how to build. It's the heart of the architect on the paper. I've never met an architect who created some type of drawing that didn't just pour time, effort, and energy, thought into making sure everything was how it was supposed to be. You know why? Because he knows, the architect knows that whenever this is built, it better do what it says it's going to do or else people's lives are going to be in danger. Do you build your life and your structure knowing that people's lives are going to be in danger if it's not done well? Yours too. The word is your blueprint. So how do I use the word to build that structure? Really practical today, guys. First, you need to be in the word daily. Outside um, at the merch table, there is something called a soap journal. Um, Soap stands for scripture, observation, application, prayer. And what you do is you find a Bible verse, you find a scripture. And when you find that scripture, you read it. And then whatever you observe about it, you just write down. Uh, Then you apply it to your life. And then you pray about it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you about it. All of our soap journals out there are 100% free. You don't have to pay for them. So if you want one, grab one. Start learning how to soap. Learn how to dig into the word. Talk to a friend every day about a Bible verse and compare thoughts. How many of y'all got that buddy that whenever something's going on, like y'all know y'all talk to him like, ooh, let me tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. Come on, y'all got that friend? What about your um, go have a good time friend? What about your motorcycle friend? I got, I got friends that like motorcycles. Come on. We're going to get you there, bro. God, I see both of them right there. I love y'all both. We're going to get y'all out of them Harleys and into some, uh, some road stars. Come on, baby. <laughs> I'm getting some really mean looks right now. Uh, everybody has their, their buddies. But do you have a buddy that you can talk to Jesus about? Do you have a buddy you can talk to Jesus about and they're not going to go, oh, you're just, just being over-spiritual, man. I mean, don't give me all that Jesus stuff, bro. We're trying to have a good time. Uh, do you have a buddy that you can talk Scripture with? If you don't, you need to find one of those. Hey, here's one. Listen to the Daily Hit on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
I know it's a selfish plug. Uh, every single day, every single um, uh, weekday, I do something called the Daily Hit. It's a five to seven minute Bible verse, how you apply it to your life. And every single um, um, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, I don't do it. I don't do it for my health. I do it because I want to help you dig into the word every single day. In fact, all last week, I not only gave you the Bible verse and its application, but I showed you how I got to the interpretation of that scripture every day using things like going back into the original languages or looking at God's character, looking at the context. I mean, it's, it's a great way to learn the Bible. Um, another thing is find a devotional that focuses on scripture and not just good thoughts. There's a lot of encouraging, hey, you can do it, buddy, kind of devotionals out there. But find one that can dig in. And then here's one, read the Bible through in a year. Now, I don't encourage you to do this by yourself, and here's why. Y'all gonna get to Leviticus. <laughs> Ooh, y'all gonna have some troubles. So be sure that you're linking up with that Bible, buddy, and read through in the year. Here's the second thing is you need to grab a verse for every situation. You got some bad news? Okay, what does the Bible say? Um, if you go to Google and type, what does the Bible say about anxiety? Openbible.info is typically one of the first ones that pop up, and it'll show you all the verses that have to deal with anxiety. That could be a resource. Um, good news? Well, what does the Bible say? Well, rejoice with those who rejoice in. So call up a friend and say, let me tell you, I found a coin I lost. You know what I'm saying? Like, what do you want to do? Once you get that verse, speak it over and over again. My pastor, Pastor Chuck, said he struggled with fear when he was a young man, and so he would recite, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. He said sometimes it was a thousand times a day because he needed to not be fearful. Say it out loud. Tell somebody about it. You want to drive your coworkers nuts because they drive you nuts? Just keep reciting the Bible verse to them, see what happens. Well, you stop it. Ain't even the right translation. Uh, third, you need to deep dive into some verses. Look, don't try to read a whole book in one setting. Find a verse that moves you and dig in. Soap it. Meet with a friend and talk about that verse. And here's one. I don't know if you do this, but ask the Holy Spirit to show you what is it about that verse that's changing you so much, that's speaking to you so much. Verse 21 says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. It wasn't hard at all to discover the rich young man's cornerstone. In fact, when we, when we read the title, The Rich Young Ruler, we saw it right there. It was the word rich. See, that thing that gives you your identity is typically your cornerstone. Now, maybe it's, maybe it's a good one, because it's like maybe you can just do a lot of stuff. Like, this is something people have said about my mom, Gwen. They've said, well, you can just do anything. Uh, and she, she can. She's really good at a lot of stuff. But here's what happens when you're good at stuff is that people come and ask you to do the impossible, and then you deliver. And before you realize it, you're about to break down because they're asking you to do the 12 times impossible, and you're still delivering. The reason you keep doing that is because your identity is in what you do in people's eyes. That's your cornerstone. Maybe your cornerstone is... Um, when your dad told you when you were five years old that you're a failure and nothing else you would ever do would be anything but failure. And so the cornerstone was failure and everything else you've done in your life, every single stone that has been laid in your life has been laid with the understanding that you're going to fail. The rich young ruler refused to give up his cornerstone and he missed Jesus. How about you? How do you not miss Jesus when he says follow? Like, how do you do that? 
Well, what did Jesus ask the rich young ruler to do? Sell it. Get rid of it. Now, I know that's a fear for some of you. And you're afraid to go all in with Jesus because you think you're going to lose everything. He's going to make me give up everything. Like, I love my truck. I'm going to want to give it up. I'm going to give up my friends. Like, well, hold on just a second. Because, because sometimes Jesus will ask you to give it up, but sometimes Jesus will just ask you to put it in the right order. Okay? So it doesn't matter what you have as long as what you have doesn't have you. Have a nice car. Knock yourself out. I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher, but if you have the ability to get a nice car, maybe get your nice car, get you a Jaguar, get whatever you want. Just don't let that car get you. Have things. God, ain't, God doesn't have a problem with you having things. Look at Solomon. If God's got a problem with you having stuff, Solomon was kind of jacked up then, huh? The problem is that he does not want what you have to have you. Now, what you worship can be adjusted, but what enslaves you has to be broken. There's a difference between idolatry and bondage. Idolatry can be remedied by simply changing what you worship. But bondage is only remedied by changing what's your master. Addiction has to be broken. But making your kid the most important thing in your life can be adjusted. That's the difference. If Jesus were here right now, and I want you to really think about this. If Jesus were here right now and he was asking you to do one thing so that you could effectively follow him, what would it be? What would it be? Can I encourage you with this? You need to ask yourself this a lot. In fact, anytime you feel like your life beginning to get askew, um, I, 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 watch, I watch the dumbest things on YouTube because they're just satisfying. So like people mowing lawns, come on, man. Um, I, I like watching people lay brickwork. You know they have that line. And they moved that line as they laid the brickwork. And there was one time the guy was going, and his coworker was jacking with him. He says, oh, it's out of, it's out of order. It's out of line. And he stopped, and he's, he's frantic, and he looked. He's like, no, it's not. And he kept right on going. It was funny. We laughed, and they didn't know I was laughing because I was watching them. But um, I found it interesting that when he felt like his life was going askew, he looked back at his cornerstone. Come on. Can we not get something out of that from Jesus? When you feel like your life is going askew, Maybe it's time to ask the question, if Jesus were right here right now and he was asking me to do one thing that I could effectively follow him, what would it be? I mean, just out of curiosity, and you, uh, like, you don't have to tell me what it is, obviously, but just kind of give me this if you felt like you heard Jesus tell you something. Praise God, man. That's what we're talking about. The lie of the enemy is that you will be happier with any cornerstone beside Jesus, but the truth is your structure is doomed if your cornerstone isn't Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them. But Jesus again said, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible but not with God. Everything is possible with God. This is number three if you're taking notes. None of this works without God. We can get into a lot of stuff without God, but we can't get out of any of it without him. So if you've been trying to fix it or get better or do better or, or you're doing it all on your own, I'm just going to tell you it's a fool's errand. Stop trying. You need him. Why? Here's why. It's because you're already in an impossible situation that you can't get out of. And I'm telling you right now, there is an impossible situation on the horizon. And if you don't learn how to use him to get out of the situation now, you're not going to do that when, he, when the next impossible situation comes. 
You're building your life right now. You're building, especially if you've got young kids. Right now is so vital that you learn to build a structure that honors God because your kid is going to cling to that structure until they get to a place where they can build on their own. And, and, and if we're going to be good, godly parents, then what we need to do is we need to help our children learn what building a structure looks like. I did some welding this week because we had to put a gate up and all that kind of stuff. And as I was welding, I, I remembered working with my dad in the welding shop. And the smell of steel a lot of times is a very, um, it's like a very calming, soothing thing for me because I remember working with dad. And it's like, I, while I love not being a welder all the time, I, I miss the smell of steel because it reminds me of my dad. Do you know why I could weld? It's because my dad taught me. Some of you in here, y'all have things that you've learned from your parents and learned from your family. And listen, some of them are good things and some of them are bad things. And some of you may be in a situation right now, and I'm speaking to some of you today, I know it, that you feel like the situation you're in is impossible. My building is so jacked up, it has no hope of being corrected. That may be true with it just being you, but with God, all things are possible. And you're sitting here right now in this moment, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Well, I can tell you one place to start. After this service is done, we're going to have people at these altars, and you're going to be able to pray with somebody and get some hands laid on you and allow God to begin a work inside of you that you didn't know that could be accomplished. I don't know how in the world I'm going to do this. I don't know how it's going to change. Listen, I'm telling you right now, there are situations where God will go before you already to your house and change the heart of that child or change the heart of your spouse or change the heart of your boss before you even get there. And when you get there, you're not going to know what in the world happened. I had the enemy challenging me just this week on, does prayer really change anything? Because, I mean, if God's already, if he's already exists outside of time and he knows how everything has happened, how in the world is me praying going to change God's mind? I'm sort of thinking, you know what? Even if it doesn't change God's mind, that's not the issue. It's changing me. Prayer's changing me and how I think about the situation. I'm going to let God be God because, see, I can't control what he does, but I can control what I do. And if I want to see my life changed, I've got to stop doing the same old thing. I've got to stop building with the same methods. I've got to stop putting the bricks on the jacked up foundation and just stop for a second. And hey, listen to this, and this may hurt some of you, but maybe you allow God to just wipe the whole building out. But I'm terrified of what that might look like. Well, what would you, what would you rather a moment where God wipes everything away and starts over with the right structure or living constantly in fear that any moment it's going to come tumbling down. Here's the thing. It's either pain now or pain later. But here's the thing. If you embrace the pain now of letting God restructure your whole life, it will be minimal compared to what it could be when it all falls down. Y'all, Christianity's hard. This is advanced theology here. This is advanced stuff. You just got to ask yourself, are you willing to do what it takes? You see, God, Jesus in that moment asked the rich young ruler the very question I just asked you. He didn't say necessarily, will you sell everything and follow me? He said, are you willing to let me destroy everything you've built your whole life so that you can have a life you never imagined you could possibly live? That's what God is offering you today. We are clinging to a jacked up foundation and a bad cornerstone rather than embracing the power of a God who can do anything. I don't know if I could start over. Okay. 
I understand. I understand. I left a, a solid job to come plant a church at 40. All right? Don't think for a second there wasn't some fear. It's difficult when, you're, when your third grader says, Dada, how come we had to leave my friends? That's hard. I had to, I had to allow God to step into the middle of the thing I was building and make the adjustments that he wanted to make. And I'm telling you, it's not always easy. In 2015, when I started going through the process of dealing with the orphan spirit, that wasn't easy. It was incredibly difficult. But I could either fight the architect or I could let him build the building that he planned before he ever said, let there be light. I don't know about y'all, but I've, I've had some really bad brick-setting moments in my life. I got some walls that are still just out of, they're just skewed and they're out of, they're, they're not true. God's working to correct them and to fix them. And I'm probably just like you. Now, some of y'all are like, well, preacher, you don't know what in the world my walls look like. I hear you. I hear you. But here's what I want you to understand, because I know a lot of this can be tough, but let me at least give you one piece of encouragement. That when God looks at you, he doesn't see what's broken. He sees you whole and complete, lacking nothing. And this is why it's so important, because you are looking at what's broken, but God is looking at what's already been fixed, if you'll just let him. I don't know. I don't know that they would have had to replace Judas with Matthias in the book of Acts had the rich young ruler just sold everything and followed Jesus. What if that's what Jesus was calling him to? And he missed it. I'm going to end here today with some super practical steps. Number one is spending time in prayer. If you aren't praying regularly, you're just not getting fresh oil. The Bible says in Luke 5 that Jesus stole away to pray. Why? He's God, right? I mean, if anybody doesn't need to pray, you think, hey, okay, this is prayer like with Jesus. Hey, me. Hey, what's up? I don't know what to do. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay. All right. So what do you want to do? I don't know. Just, let's just hang out for an hour because uh, Peter and John are fighting and really making me frustrated. Jesus often withdrew. Why? First, he needed direction. The Bible says that Jesus constantly talked about how he only did what the Father told him to do. Can I ask you something? How can you do what your father tells you to do if you don't really spend time with your father? Okay, I'm not trying to be mean. I love you. But second, he needed refreshing. You know, the Bible talks in Acts chapter 3 about that once you, when you repent, times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Notice the presence of the Lord. Prayer is not you giving God your laundry list of things you want him to tackle. Prayer time is just you spending time with Jesus. That's all it is. So how do we do that? Go to YouTube. Type instrumental worship, play it, and then tell him what he's done. Thank him for it. Tell him how good he's been. Tell him how awesome he is. Tell him how much better your life is with Jesus than without it. How come we can do this with our spouse, but we can't do this with Jesus? You put on Teddy Pendergrass, and you tell a girl, I love you. Close the door. Can't do nothing without you. No, you got the, got the, God. Come on, man. We do this with Teddy P. Can't do this with the JC. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Great. That's going to be another remix, Zach. Um, God's honest truth, though. I really want you to stop and think for a second. 
When's the last time you were driving in your car and the radio was off and you just committed, I'm going to spend time right now in his presence, and you just started by saying, Jesus, I'm so much better because of you. I know I got a lot of work to be done. I'm telling you, Jesus, I would have never taken a, I would have never taken the bet on me at all, but you did, and I'm just so thankful because who I am now, I never thought I could be where I am right now. How come that's not prayer? It is. Oh no, you got to get in the prayer clause. You got to have that little shawl with the tassels like the Jewish people have. No, you don't. You don't. Um. I love this. This is something that Zach tells our students all the time. It's my favorite thing. I say it all the time now. Talk to Jesus like a homie. How do you talk to your friends? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like he wouldn't have said. No. I don't know how you talk. <laughs> Not like that. <laughs> Not like that. How you have a conversation with your friend, have a conversation like that with God. Well, Jason, I hear you, but man, it's hard because God doesn't respond like my friend responds. Okay, then here's what you do. As you're sitting there, imagine what he might say back to you. Imagine what, imagine what you'd want him to say to you. Here's the thing. The more you do it, here's what's going to happen. The weirdness is going to go away, and you and God are going to become chatty Cathy's all together. But you got to get over the, the weird hump. You know what I'm saying? Like the weirdness of it. Like, okay, I'm just sitting in a room quiet or I'm in my car and I'm driving and people are passing me like, are you talking to yourself? Like, just, yeah, yeah. Hey, you worry about your plank, okay? So just talk to the Lord. The second part is getting into the word. There's this misconception that the Bible study has to be toil and digging and laboring and you got to have some deep theological education to understand the word wrong. You don't have to have all that. If you want the Bible to become alive in you, then you need to have an experience with the Word of God. Okay, my favorite Bible verse, Hebrews 12, 12, and 13. So take a new grip with your tired hands, strengthen your weak knees, mark out a straight path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fail, but will become strong. That's my favorite Bible verse. Now, why does that verse stir so much in me? It's because this, I know how easy it is to want to just quit. And I know how it feels to walk a path that God told me to walk and my stinking knees are shaking so bad that I don't know that I can make it. I know what it means to mark out a straight path for my feet in the middle of briars and thorns and thickets and I can't even see the path and you want me to walk straight? But here's why, here's why all of that is trumped by that last part. Those who are weak and lame will not fail but will become strong. My willingness to not quit means that people just might be made whole. This is just words. You open the Bible to that page, you're going to just see words on a page. What makes it different from, you know, Winnie the Pooh? Here's why. It's because I've had, a, I've had that experience. I've had an experience with Jesus. I've had an experience with this verse, and it's changed me. That's why even poetry can move us. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You ever heard that? What about this one? What about this one? Hold fast to dreams for if dreams die, life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. You know why? Why these poems move us? 
It's because we know what it's like to be walking a road and have to make a decision. And we know the fear and the the terror of making a decision. But then knowing that after we've made the right decision to take the road less traveled, we know the value of that road less traveled. Or we know what it feels like to be hopeless. And because we are embracing hope, all of a sudden we know that we're going to make it through. That's why these words speak to us. How much more does the Bible, God's living word, speak to you? Have an experience Here's what I'm asking you to do. Stop reading the Bible to check it off the list or to compensate for some area of lack in your life. Well, if I just read the Bible more, God will love me more. No, start having an experience with the words you're reading and watch how the Bible comes alive in you. And if you really need a reason, one more reason to, to believe this, just imagine this. John 3.16 is worthless until you experience it. John 3.16 is just something that people write on a sign at a football game until you experience it. Here's my point. If you want that structure in your life to be godly and able to hold up your home, then stop just reading the Bible and start experiencing the Bible. The word says that faith without works is dead. I I think reading without experiencing is dead too. Last one is this, live with purpose. There's an overarching purpose to the kingdom. There's an overarching purpose to your life, but there are daily moments of purpose that build the structure of your life. Daily decisions that either make or break that structure. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about here. It is so easy to wake up and to be negative. Oh, the sun peeking through. You better be glad you can see the sun waking up in the morning. That means you're alive, man. My daughter, Audrey, my four-year-old, she loves to run up into the bed at about four or five o'clock in the morning. And when Audrey sleeps next to you, she like, it's like she becomes one with you. You know what I'm saying? Like she's like, I can't roll over. I got the, I got the CPAP machine on, hoses going everywhere, choking me out and can't sleep. Better not get mad at my little girl wanting to run up and jump and snuggle with us in the covers. Because there's going to be a day when that doesn't happen anymore. So I can either wake up and be negative or I can wake up and say, you know what? I am going to speak life today. Everything I say, there's going to be life dripping off of it. I'm going to respond to issues with grace and prayer and gratitude. I'm not going to be a negative Nancy. Sorry if your name's Nancy. It just is another N-word. But it's like I'm I'm going to be sure that I'm speaking life to people. And making sure that, that, that people are being encouraged around me. My family is going to encounter God today. I'm going to make sure that my kids have a moment of prayer. That my kids have a Bible verse. I'm going to speak life into my family. I'm going to honor God with what I do today. That's living with purpose. Make it a point to do this. Why is this so important when it comes to building structure? It's because of this. Number one, you learn some muscle memory. And whenever things start to mess up, if you've been doing this on the regular intentionally, thinking about it, when you're not thinking about it because your problem, all of a sudden you're going to be encouraged and you're going to be able to speak life. But the second part, and this is the best one, is because it helps with the renovation work in your life. It's the constant ability to let God into the room and pull down the sheetrock and begin to fix the walls and do what he needs to do to make sure that you are being used to your capacity. I titled this message, The Foundation. And you know, nothing, <laughs> nothing else works without the proper foundation. Without a, a good foundation, you spend your whole life looking for the cracks in the walls. Are you trying to fix them or maybe both? But it'll get you to a place where you're living in the home, but you're never really enjoying it. 
You need a good structural foundation to live this life. I think many of us are in a place where we have this impossible time trying to figure out where to even begin this process. Like, what do I even do, man? I understand. I understand. But part of what we're trying to do here at Freedom Church, at least, and sometimes we're great at this and sometimes we fail at this, but it's doing everything we can to help you in every area of your life. I'm going to tell you right now, I cannot fix every problem you have. Can't. Even if I could, it wouldn't be necessarily healthy because it means that you would always be coming to me when you have a problem. But here's what I want to do. I want to get you connected with somebody who has maybe a similar experience and they can talk you through how to get over the thing that you're needing to get over. And all of a sudden, they're going to train you with tools on how to do that. And rather than having to go to somebody every time, you're going to be able to just do it yourself. I'm not saying cut the community out. I'm saying be able to walk out this door and fight the enemy. So next time you come to the altar, it's not teach me how to fight. The next time you come, it's like, will you stand arm in arm with me when we fight? And then the next time you come, say, hey, high five. I got them. Start with the basics. Pray. Read. Live with purpose. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? The reason I ask you to do this is just to block out any distraction around you. Here in a few minutes, I'm going to have a prayer team. Um, they're going to come up and, and, and be able to pray with you about any situation that you're going through. Especially in light of restructuring, realigning, allowing God to do what he needs to do so that you can become the structure that he created you to be. But let's take a moment and pray. God, we, we thank you for today. We thank you that you have a structure in mind. God, we thank you that you see the completed project and God, you are actively engaged in helping us get to that place. God, only you can take who we've been and, and make us into who you created us to be. So right now, God, we surrender ourselves to you. Church, if, if you really want to take the next step here, if you really want to take the next step, be sure that you surrender yourself right now in this moment. Let the architect in. Let him examine. Let him begin to show you areas that need to be addressed. And if, and if you're here today and you heard the Lord tell you something that you need to do so that you could follow him more effectively, commit to that right now. Surrender yourself to that plan. And then if you're really ready, I just want you to ask the Lord this. I can't do it for you, but you can do it. Lord, what do you want me to do? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. God, I thank you for your people. I thank you uh, for your plan for us. I thank you for the structure. But God, I thank you that in this moment that you're speaking to your children. Maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you feel just this, this something in your chest. You just feel it rolling and stirring and you don't know what it is. You felt it from the moment you walked in. I'm telling you right now, that's the Lord drawing you to himself. And, and if you want to say yes to Jesus today, it's super easy. God doesn't make it difficult. You don't even have to come to the altar if you don't want to. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I confess you as the Lord of my life and I believe in you. Save me. It's that simple. And if you mean it, God means it. You don't have to jump a hoop. You just have to confess and believe. 
But I'm going to tell you, if you made that decision today, you, you need to tell somebody about it. It could be the one thing, the encouragement, the one piece of encouragement that gets that person through this week is knowing that you said yes to Jesus. So be sure to share it. Father, I thank you for your people. God, I'm asking you to give them courage to take the step they need to take from, the, from this moment. And we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on Freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.